Good day, y'all. This is Ryan C coming at you from Melbourne, Australia, and you're listening to the PCS podcast. Tune in today for the latest and greatest of pinball news, updates, and other information to really get you going and stoked about pinball. Now, without further ado, I give you Ian Rodriguez. Good morning. What a fantastic, brisk Southern California morning we are experiencing today. Hello, everybody. This is Ian Rodriguez, and you are listening to the Pinball and Cool Stuff podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm sitting in the parking lot of Fitness 19, 631 Pacific Standard Time here on January 4th. Uh, is it 3rd or 4th? Well, it's, uh, it's something. It's Friday. That's what I do know. So I got good news. I got a job interview lined up for next week, so wish me luck. Excited about that. Could be a really rare opportunity to join a law firm with a uh, with a fresh start with a new company. Um, they are growing, so I might be one of if only a few lawyers who are selected, hopefully, for a new office in Riverside, California. So I got my fingers crossed. I'm looking looking forward to 2020 in, in more ways than just professionally, but this is a really good development, and uh, I'm excited about it. So what other developments are going on? So I have confirmed with the operator at Game Lab in Riverside that they are going to be uh, buying a Stranger Things pinball. It will be on location at the Riverside Game Lab probably on the 13th of January. And the reason why it's being delayed is because they're putting it at Indisc first. So you'll be able to come and play Stranger Things at Indisc. So if you haven't bought your tickets yet, go buy them. You can play Stranger Things at Indisc. I believe it will be set up on a fundraiser pay-to-play, okay? So every other game at Museum of Pinball is free, except for a very, very select few fundraiser games for Project Pinball. As you know, Project Pinball raises money to put pinball machines in children's hospitals across the country. So they are a really unique uh, nonprofit and a really great nonprofit and one that really fulfills our hobby and and allows pinball to help thousands of children who are suffering every day. So I'm really proud of that that company. I've met the guy who runs it, I think his name is John, and he's a neat guy, and, and they're a neat company. So support them um, any way you can, and if you can make it to Indus, come out and play Stranger Things and put, some, put a $20 bill on the machine and see if you can get a high score. I think it's a 50-50 split, so if you get a high score and the tournament ends and Indisc is over and your score is still standing, you get to take home a bunch of that money. So that's kind of cool. So Stranger Things, yeah, yeah. Another development really interesting is the Led Zeppelin news. So I have it on good authority that Led Zeppelin is coming in Q1 2020. And it's uh, my understanding that it will be either Meteor or Quicksilver reskin for Stern. So that's really interesting. Now, I about two years ago, uh, maybe a little less, I was reading some threads on Pinside, and this, this whole news break kind of jolted my memory. And the reason is, is because a couple of guys were complaining about old white guy music being the music themes. So I started thinking, I'm thinking, well, I can't disagree with that, right? So old white guy music, what would you say that is? Like classic rock, 
um, maybe some heavy metal for older guys, maybe in their 40s or 50s. Um, certainly not like 60s and 70s who listen to uh, Metallica and Megadeth or Iron Maiden, bands like that. Um, they probably listen to ACDC because it's a little older of a band. But the whole old white guy music complaint is it's a valid one, but I'll tell you why it should be sort of dismissed. Is because Stern is seeking the demographic. They're trying to touch, they're trying to push the buttons on the demographic they like. And what demographic do they like? They, they, wanna, they want people to drop money into their games, right? So they want to put them on location and earn. Now, who's playing pinball on location? There are some young people. There's plenty of young people. But there's a, probably a lot, a really good majority of 30-somethings to 60-somethings playing a lot more than 20-somethings, right? So the old adage of old white guy being 40 to 60 years old, I get it. Um, but those are the guys who are buying machines for their homes and playing them on location um, probably as frequently as the younger demographic. Now, the younger demographic can't buy them because they're not necessarily in that position financially always, right? So the more stable buyer for them, if they're trying to even touch the home audience, and obviously they were in the past, it is to go for that 40 to 60 sweet spot, right? Um, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with old white guy music, right? I love my heavy metal. I love Metallica, Iron Maiden. I certainly like ACDC. I'm not in love with them. Um, their old Rolling Stones machine was kind of a dud. But uh, Led Zeppelin's a neat band, and I think they'll have mass appeal because they're a very, very unique, cultural, iconic band from the 70s. Um, I think 60s and 70s, really. And so I appreciate the effort. I understand the complaint of old white guy music, but I just don't necessarily agree that it's valid because it's it's all about the money, man. When it comes down to it, who's going to buy them, who's going to play them, shoot, you know, hit your target and build a machine. So, um, so about Stranger Things, I just tuned in last night to watch season two. Now, um, I watched two episodes with my wife on the couch, all cuddled up with the kids, and I, I'll say this. It is a very slow boil uh, of a show, and I'm not losing my patience just yet, but I really want something interesting to happen. I'm eager for that. I am not sure what season two is all about quite yet, but it's um, it's interesting. It's going to, and I'll stick around, because I kind of want to become familiar with it before I play Stranger Things and experience it in the pinball world, right? It's kind of a, I mean, it would be a unique way to experience the show in a pinball machine. So I've never really experienced a television show through a pinball machine, so this will be kind of the first time for me. Of course, we've seen the movies translated to pinball frequently, um, but I'm not I'm not sure I've ever played like a television show made into a movie, so or made into a pinball. So it'll be really really cool. So what do I have for you today? It is um, it is a face-off day. Now my face-offs are underdog stories, of course, as you know. I put higher-ranked games on the Pinside 100 against the lower-ranked games and see who wins. And often I give my opinion on which is better. Sometimes there's a tie, sometimes there's not. But today, we have the number six versus the number 47. And if you've been keeping up, of course, number six is Iron Maiden by Stern, designed by Keith Elwin, a machine that I own. Now I'm pitting it up against a Whirlwind at number 47. A Pat Lawler classic. A Williams game, 1981, I believe, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, now listen. These two games are wildly different. Uh, Iron Maiden is a lot more flow and looping and comboing. Whirlwind is a lot more stop and go. It's got three flippers, not quite four. But let's explain why I think it's a very close call. So devil's advocate here. 
I'm going to tell you the finer attributes of each machine and which I believe would come out on top in a head-off or face-to-face -face battle. Now, I guess I should just say it at the outset. I say that this is almost a tie with a slight edge to Iron Maiden. So this will be the first time in my top 10 face-offs that I'm giving you the overdog as the winner. I think I'm a little biased here, so you understand my bias. I own it. I love Iron Maiden. Um, so the theme is a home run for me. The art is amazing, but let's go on. So I, let's go to art. So art, first off, John Yowsey versus Zombie Yeti, and uh, Zombie Yeti did a better job. And I'll say this. Um, the reason why Zombie Yeti did a better job is because his style is so different and he uses software that's modern and extremely cutting edge. And John Yowsey was a hand drawer artist, okay? The guy drew everything by hand, which was then imprinted onto a playfield. So I think there's a little bit of a handicap there uh, for John Yowsey, but I still appreciate what John Yowsey did. He created a perfect theme integration art package. Tornadoes. Um, clouds, weather, you know, these compasses indicating the directional on the playfield. Um, so it was a great effort, although it falls short of Zombie Yeti's effort on Iron Maiden. In my opinion, Zombie Yeti's best game is Iron Maiden as far as art is concerned, and it's the most vibrant package that he's created. I think Deadpool is a close second because, man, that game rocks. That game really looks good. But Iron Maiden's the clear winner here on art. Um, Alright, now, Playfield. What do we have? Four flippers on Maiden, three flippers on Whirlwind. Um, let's see, we got two scoops on Whirlwind. We got one scoop only on the Premium Edition of Iron Maiden, okay? Um, the Playfield design um, and number of shots, I think, may go to Whirlwind here. And the reason I say that is because I think there's just a couple more shots on that game with a more unique, quirky layout. Lawler created, right? So there is a a really just absolutely obscure layout on Whirlwind. And with Iron Maiden, you're a lot more traditional. Left ramp, right ramp. Um, the pops are kind of obscurely placed on Maiden, I get it. But as far as the playfield's concerned, I think the design has to go to Whirlwind because I think it's just simply more interesting and simply more to it than the playfield on Iron Maiden. So, playfield, winner. All right, so how about toys? Toys. The toys, the spinning discs on Whirlwind are a playfield feature and toy, in my opinion. They create huge variety on the playfield and a lot of danger for the player. Um, Iron Maiden doesn't have any toys except for a couple of sculpts. Now, if you have the flap ramp and the tomb entrance on the left ramp um, on Iron Maiden, you have the premium LE model, but let's go pro here. There's nothing on it. So Whirlwind also has a topper, which is one of the best toppers ever. It is a spinning whirlwind fanned cloud which simulates a tornado when that mode is entered and that is an absolutely brilliant topper idea iron maiden no nowhere even close to that on the topper end of things right so the topper goes to whirlwind the playfield toys and features goes to whirlwind because there is simply more two scoops on the left side of the playfield a channel shot on the left side of the playfield through between the scoops a side ramp um, going up and around to the left flipper uh, what else you got? You got the, I think there's a trap door on this game. I can't remember exactly. But I think that the the features and the spinning discs give you a little bit more here from Williams on this game. All right? Um, let's see. The diamond-plated playfield on Whirlwind. Now, I've never brought this up about an old Williams game, and but I was looking at some pictures this weekend, or, or the, earlier this week, and I thought, 
That's a cool feature, man. Diamond plate is the most impenetrable feature on a playfield of all time. These playfields simply do not wear. They do not roach. They do not skid. There is no trenching on the on the wood on these playfields. The art is always intact, and it's like. I don't know what they did back then, but man, they did it right. Of course, we know now that Stern makes far inferior playfields quality and, and wear and tear resistance-wise, but we still love the games. I'm, not, I'm okay with garbage that they put out because it's still a great pinball, but I'm simply giving that feature as a plus for Whirlwind here because the playfield will last longer. It's amazing. So what they were able to accomplish back in the 80s and 90s with playfields is something you know, that I consider an absolute miracle in manufacturing. But of course we know that the EPA has pretty much castrated any sort of playfield designer's ability to protect and clear coat their playfields effectively in the modern era. So it is what it is, right? All right, now, as far as code goes, I'm gonna go for Iron Maiden here. And I think the reason why Iron Maiden is the very clear winner, head and shoulders above code on Whirlwind is because there's a lot more modes, there's a lot more interesting ways to play the modes, and there's a lot more ways to encounter the game and to, and to start a game and to initiate the, and engage the machine. Um, and the code is updated as well. So Whirlwind, I don't even know if they ever issued updates, but they gave you a game. It was very, very simple, very, very basic. It was an operator machine strictly, of course, back in the day. That's the only audience they were seeking to impress was operators. So that was it. There was very, very sparse code. So code is a real, real big time winner for Maiden. And obviously in the modern age of pinball and the way we analyze games currently, code is extremely important. So it's a big up for Maiden here. Now, theme, theme. What about theme here? In my opinion, obviously the better theme is Iron Maiden because I love the band. Now, if you like non-licensed themes, Whirlwind is your game. If you like licensed themes, Iron Maiden's your game. Um, not a lot to really say more than that here, but I, Iron Maiden wins in my heart and mind because it's a killer theme. Killer music, killer everything. Now it's funny, the music on Whirlwind is quirky and fun, a lot like Roadshow. It kind of puts you in this fun, jaunty mood in, in, in many cases. And then there's mode starts for like, get in the cellar and you know, hiding from the tornado, or the music changes, so that's kind of neat. I really appreciate the way that they changed things up and adjusted it for the mode. So that's much appreciated on the Whirlwind side, but the theme itself is better for Iron Maiden. Now, integration. Integration, uh, it's a really a tie, man. Because the integration on Iron Maiden and Legacy of the Beast is not really the band, rather the game that they created for the, for the app on, their, on the Android. But uh, theme integration on Whirlwind is incredible. The, every aspect of the game, the toys, the playfield, the fan on top, and the, and the cellar and the, uh, the ramps, and the way that they named everything, and the way that they kind of integrated that weather theme into the game was perfect. So theme integration was top-notch for each of the games. It's a clear tie. So what do we have? Art, Maiden. Theme, Maiden. Code, Maiden. Four flippers, Maiden. What does Whirlwind have? All right, playfield, check. Uh, number of shots, check. Diamond plate, check. So here we have about three versus four more important ones. I'm gonna have to go with Maiden on this one. You probably knew that going in. Uh, of course, I told you Maiden was the better game going in, so I guess I shouldn't say that. Kind of foolish on my part. But anyway, Maiden almost loses to Whirlwind, and on we go. I hope you guys are going to uh, to Indus, guys, because I think that Maiden's gonna be back in the lineup at the main bank. I know now that there's gonna be 18 games at the main bank for, on Indisc. 18 in the main bank, um, as opposed to 14 last year. 
And so it's going to be a bigger tournament. I heard there's 500 entrants to the tournament. The tournament starts on Thursday with a Classics match play and continues until Sunday. So that's an interesting little plug for you guys to consider for Indisc, and I'm all over it. All right. So I was looking on Pinside this week, and I saw this post from a guy who found a Star Trek Next Gen in a guy's basement. The guy said, if you can get it out of my basement, you can have it. He took a free Star Trek Next Gen from some kind gentleman, probably out in the Midwest somewhere. Obviously, they don't have basements out here on the West Coast, so basement, I think, Midwest, I think, Mountain States. So, this guy gets a free Star Trek, man. I thought, man, what a lucky son of a gun. Everybody on the post was like, I'm so jealous of you, man. What an incredible find. May we all have that experience in our lifetimes, right? May we all encounter some incredible garage sale deal or some fella just trying to dump his old junk and you encounter him and say, hey, I'll pay you for it. Or if the guy just says, no, just take it. Get it out of my way. How amazing would that be? You take the game home, you play it, you have some real fun. It's like, I would never get rid of the game because it's free. I wouldn't want to capitalize on that. I'd keep it. It would be the coolest memory in pinball of my lifetime. So congrats to whoever you are out there. That would be amazing. You know, I've been watching some prices on the Pinside Marketplace. I just watched a Game of Thrones limited edition go up for $6,500 home use only. Wow. How about that? That's a good LE too. I mean, if you've ever played the Game of Thrones LE, it's much better than the Pro. Um, people say it's not, but I disagree. I think the, the Pro is inferior and more sparse. The LE is more robust, more interesting. Uh, I don't care if the upper playfield dominates the game. I think the game's better because it's just a little bit easier. And uh, that game needs a little bit of butter on top to make it playable. How about this? Black Knight Sword of Rage LE, $6,600. That is a, what is that, a $3,000 hit? Is that an $8,900 game, brand new? So that would be, oh no, so that would be $2,300, excuse me. $2,300 in less than 12 months, taking a loss on Black Knight Sword of Rage. Man, it makes us all hesitate to buy li limited editions, doesn't it? Any of us who do care about five grand, you know, 10 grand, any of, us, any of us who care about five grand and are not willing to just kind of throw it away are not doing the LE thing brand new. No way, Jose, man, no way. I've seen dialed in LEs going up for $7,000. Dialed in LE, barely two years old, probably has 500 plays on it. Seven grand, that game was 9,500 sticker price, almost 10,000 shipped to your door. Almost 10,000 seven grand so that poor soul is paying ten he's paying three thousand dollars for how many games he played on it right so if he played 500 games he's paying three thousand dollars for 500 games on his dialed in le now i know that the ownership experience is far more than just playing them so i totally sympathize and relate with that so in my opinion the ownership experience is more of it's not just about just playing it it's about sharing it. it's about enjoying it in your garage or your game room it's about just enjoying it that that incredible feeling you have when you have a nice new inbox in your garage is nothing short of amazing i've experienced that i love it so i get why they're buying them but it's so painful to see man three thousand dollars for 500 games or however many games you put on it even if you put a thousand games on the machine you're paying three bucks a game it's a real bummer so i guess one of the other lessons here is to be careful when you buy new inbox le's unless you're not if you're not willing to take a two thousand dollar hit just don't do it um but also play the crap out of your new inbox games. 
Play them until your fingers bleed because you need to get that value and that enjoyment out of them because if you do turn it around and flip it, turn around and sell it, you're going to lose a bunch of money. So at least make it worth your while and make it worth the playtime that you get on the machine once you finally do dump it. You know what I mean? I hope you know what I mean. Uh, the Big Lebowski, $12,500 listing. $12,500. Now, when Cointakers dumped these out into the public uh, back in the summer, everybody was selling them for $18,000, dollars $20,000, $21,000, $22,000. I know at least one or two sold for twenty grand. One guy had it listed for forty grand on Pinside. Now, that guy didn't sell it for forty, but I know that a couple sold for twenty grand ish all right? Now, this poor soul is dumping it for twelve five, which was the retail price from Cointaker anyway. So, I guess we, maybe we, maybe you predicted it. Maybe I don't think I did. I thought it would wind up somewhere around fifteen grand. So, twelve five is kind of a shocker for me, um, especially considering they're probably not making anymore. Um, but it's a real bummer for those of so those out there who paid more than twelve five, because you're not, you're losing. It's a shame. It's a real bummer. So the story of the, the the Big Lebowski continues to sour and worsen for us pinheads. That's a bummer. All right, so I have some bad news about Waz, man. I had to disengage the Monkey Mech. I am really really bummed because that's one of the coolest mechs in pinball. Takes the game up to the or the ball up to the castle. It's just so great. I love it, man. Ever since I first played that machine, I thought that mech was amazing. So my monkey mech is not necessarily broken. However, the door opening the castle, the, the single door on the right side, upper right side of the castle, will not open to release the ball into the flipper in the upper play field. So unfortunately, that monkey will just keep dumping balls into there. So you get two balls up there, it won't fit three, but it will put two balls in there and the door will never open to give you the ball back. So I had to disengage it because I ran through the tests and I can't seem to figure out what's the matter. I think there's a burnt motor which operates that door. I don't think it's a coil. I believe it's a motor. In any case, that thing is toast for now. I need to call the uh, cavalry and get some, some higher knowledge friends in my home to see if they can help me with it because I don't think I'm good enough, man. I, I'm okay with it, but I don't know. I'm not sure. At least diagnosing it, I need somebody better to help me out technically. So we'll see what happens. I'll keep you posted. But for now, Waz is a is a glimpse of what it once was. So I was listening to this pinball podcast. Was it? No, it was a post, right? And they were talking about the best pinballs of the decade. Because we just ended the 2010s, right? So here we are in the 2020s, reflecting on the 2010s. What is the best pinball of the decade? I think the top two are Wonka and Maiden. Metallica's up there. Um, I think Waz is up there. I think Dialed In is up there. I, I, you know, I'm not here to make a list. I'm just here to give you my knee-jerk reactions. Um, and I, I just think there's there's been quite a few excellent games made in the 2000s. Here's a here's a shocker for you: a dark horse called Monopoly. Man, the game is fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Can't can't beat the design, man. And Lawler, he's just been hot the entire decade, making. Hit after hit, in my opinion, especially when it comes to unique layouts. Of course, you know that. I've already said that a hundred times, but man, the guys made the most unique pinballs in the decade, period. The most standard pinballs, the most traditional, basic fan layout pinballs you'll get is definitely Steve Ritchie. So, you know, that's his thing. That's cool. But if you want that interesting flavor, you're going Pat Lawler. So those are my quick thoughts on that. I was looking at this post on Pinside about 
Joey the Cat, the skee-ball arcade operator in San Francisco. Now, if you check it out, you'll see that this poor guy was getting skewered by the bureaucrats in San Francisco for trying to open an arcade near the, in the Mission District, which is, you know, it's a, it's a neighborhood, but it's also a shopping district, so it's industrial and commercial and everything else. And San Francisco was trying to prevent him from opening a skee-ball and arcade room there. The guy bought a building, he was ready to go, his commercial use permit already, and they said no. Somebody objected to it, somebody protested to it and said, don't open this, it's going to harm the neighborhood and harm the, the students of the school next door. It's going to cause the, you know, all hell to break loose. And I'm thinking, man, do people have nothing better to do than try to ruin people's lives and ruin their commercial dreams and ruin their business dreams? I just don't get it. Like, how can an arcade next to a school be harmful? I get it, maybe a couple kids might ditch school to go play games. And who wouldn't, right? You can expect that even if it was a mile away they'd do it. It's a thing called smartphones these days, a thing called Uber and Lyft, which kids can use. So it's not like they have no access to transportation with which to use to get across town to use it. So why not just let them put it up? I just think, I, I just can't believe it. It's a real bummer. So Joey the Cat, this one's for you, bud. I really sympathize with you and I feel bad that you have to deal with that bureaucracy of people trying to ruin your dream of just putting up an arcade making a little bit of money, and fulfilling people's dreams of playing live arcade games and pinballs, man. It's such a shame. And you know, I, I hope that nobody at the community of Banning up in the, where the Museum of Pinball is is objecting to the way we're handling ourselves. I don't believe they are, because I think the city of Banning is all over it. I think they're helping. I think they're a partner in this whole thing, so that's nice. But for now, who knows? If we try to grow, I hope that nobody tries to object to that. I would really hate to have to lawyer up, go to a hearing, and try to squash that sort of an effort, because the Museum of Pinball deserves to grow, to be honest with you. So, I have a fresh start here, 2020. What are your goals? Email me, spflirod at yahoo.com. My goals are very simple. I need to get a new job. I need to spend more time with my family. That means more dates with my wife, more sport time with my kids, more practice time at the parks, I need to be more patient with my children, uh, and I'm going to be. And I need to be with my daughter a little bit more. Now, I found that with my son entering his fifth and sixth years old, he wants video games and pinball more, so I've been playing a lot with him. Unfortunately, I haven't been playing as much with my daughter, so I need to kick it in to high gear and find a, a little interest of hers and just engage her on that level. Because right now, I just feel like too much father-son time, not enough father-daughter time. So I'm here to come clean, and I'm going to make a change this, this year, I promise, Hallie. Hope you're listening. I'm coming for you, girl. I'm going to make things right. We're going to spend a lot more time together. But in the meantime, we just got to find something that you like. It's kind of hard when you have children, especially young children, to find something that they really sink their teeth into. Now, a lot of people will tell you, hey, hand a kid a toy, he'll have, he'll have fun, and he'll love it, right? Well, of course they will, right? Like you hand a kid a Ninja Turtle, or like a Hulk doll, or a Barbie, they're going to have fun. But you got to find something that is actually a thing that they like, like Legos, for example, or perhaps a video game or a pinball. But I, I need to think a little broader than that. My daughter likes art. Maybe I could start drawing with her, and I probably will. We bought her an art kit for Christmas, and it's going to be a great year for whatever activity she decides to blossom into and, uh, you know, stretch out her wings. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that this year. Also, I need to enhance my diet. I need to, need to eat better. I need to eat a lot better. Now I've been eating too much candy. Now last year I started off really good at eating way less candy than I did the year prior. Now I need to start off fresh that way again. This year I need to do better. I know it. I'm acknowledging it. So I need to make a change. 
need to eat way less candy, need to eat way healthier foods. I'm considering going meat-free a couple days a week just to see if that helps my exercise routine, maybe clear my mind, I'm not sure, I've heard it does, but I'm such a carnivore, I have a hard time giving up meat. Also, I need to change my exercise program. I need to get out of my rut. I'm in a little bit of a rut, I need to change things up, work out smarter, don't work out harder. Um, I anticipate that I'm gonna be running a lot more this year, probably trying to run my eight mile runs instead of my four mile runs, so I'm trying to double my typical distance for training runs this year, and I think I can do it. I've been going 4.6, doing all right, my times have been increasing or, or decreasing, and so, you know, that's what I'm thinking this year, you know? better job, more family time, quality time with my daughter, better diet, different exercise program, less candy. Now, you notice that I didn't put any pinball goals in there. The reason is, is because I don't really have any for pinball this year. I do the same thing. I love it. I'm really enjoying it. I love my collection. I don't have to sell anything. I don't have to buy anything, although I'm always on the, on the market page. I just, I'm very comfortable with what I've got. I'm very grateful for what I've got. I'm very grateful to have access to the museum. I really couldn't be more blessed. And so, I got nothing to change there, you know what I mean? Very, very grateful. So, here's to you in 2020. I hope you guys make it a great year. I'm sorry I didn't get a New Year's Day podcast out. I was really going to do it too. I had my goals lined up. My notes were already made. I was ready to go. But don't let that stop you. Don't ever quit. Fight the good fight, guys. Play more pinball.